Hey. Oh my god, hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, good. Yeah. You know, it's it's still COVID times. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was funny. We were re-listening to the show a couple weeks ago to kind of gear up for this season. And those last few episodes are like, yeah, we might, you know, this might be for a few weeks. Who knows? Oh, God. Yeah, I saw <laughs> one of my one of my friends on Twitter the other day mentioned something around the uncomfortable reality of having to readjust to um, to the phrasing pandemic year one versus pandemic year two. Oh, yeah, sure. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, or year zero, technically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you love that shit. Anyway, so <laughs> this is Check Your Threading. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, every two weeks, your hosts watch a movie, do some homework, and create this podcast, which is a uh, podcast <laughs> that serves up history, psychology, perspective uh anything you want to add um i don't know you keep saying mise-en-scene so i do (laughs) yeah um on that film any film our goal is to talk about movies in a way that's easily accessible for our listeners whether you're from film school you're you know getting your master's or you're just a, a a casual fan we believe that art is for everyone yes so my name is Sam. I like woody smells, mm. um, centipedes, mm. <laughs> and I like going outside. And I guess those things all come together. Really, yeah, you know? yeah. You're painting a dare I say a mise en scène. <laughs> <laughs> Not for smells. Smells don't count. Oh, okay, good to know. Uh, and I'm Lauren. And uh, I finally caved and downloaded TikTok this week, which is a whole other phase of quarantine life that I I know that uh, some other people got to a lot faster than me. But um, I'm not making content. I just, you know, I just wanted an easier way to keep track of all the creators that you keep sending me. So, (laughs) uh, you know, it's addictive and uh, sometimes it makes my eyes hurt. Yeah. So don't forget to blink, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this week we're doing Keanu. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a 2016 action comedy directed by... Directed? Directed by Peter Antancio, uh, starring Kegel... Kegel? Mike and Key? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Keegan-Michael Key. I think he would like that. I think he would, too. Oh, and Tiff- Tiffany Haddish and one freaking adorable kitten. I'm sure it's more like 16, but... Yes, I think it know. is. And I think some of them got adopted. That's cute. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, so this film won Badass Boss Chick at the All Deaf Awards. Okay. All Deaf Movie Awards. Nice. So the IMDb summary is... When the adorable kitten of an L.A. crime kingpin unexpectedly enters the life of two cousins, they will have to go through tough gangs, pitiless hitmen, and ruthless drug dealers who all claim him to get him back. How hard can it be? (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, Nothing like a summary with a rhetorical question in it. (laughs) (laughs) 
so uh, when I when I first started doing research for my segment, I was like, oh, perhaps I shall address the fact that this movie kind of like spoofs the stereotype of drug lords being obsessed with exotic animals. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because we, you know, we started this this time together with Joe Exotic and the Tiger King and, you know. Mm. But once I started actually looking into things, um, the far more interesting conversation is this movie's use of George Michael. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, and the history he has with um, the black community in America. So Cool, okay. So for those of you who have not seen Keanu, the entire joke is this. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key plays Clarence, who is billed as a pretty unhip guy, who gets made fun of for having George Michael on his, I don't know, iPod, iPhone? <laughs> I, I think so, Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, and then he sort of gets stuck in his minivan with a bunch of gang members, and he has to defend his musical taste, and in the course of that, convinces them that George Michael is black. Oh my god. Okay. So the joke is that George Michael and his music is extremely white, uh, but the actual <laughs> history of his music, as it was being released, turned out to be a little more complicated than that. Okay. So in the early 80s, during the Wham! days, George mm-hmm. Michael gets credit for doing a lot more rapping on his albums than other white artists, especially British musicians, which I quote, were heavily into new romantic preening and sophista pop crooning at the time. <laughs> yeah. All right. uh, so he was playing with style in a way that sort of made the format interesting and appealing to black listeners. And it also helped rap itself cross over onto the uh, adult pop charts in a way that helped expose the format to white audiences at a time when it was very difficult to get rap on what was considered white radio. Hmm. It also increased interest in the format from all listeners and helped popularize the music for radio show, uh, radio stations in a way that gave them an incentive to actually play black artists. Okay. So that's step one of George Michael in black music. Step two is that in the mid 80s, when Wham! had just released least arguably the whitest song ever wake me up before you go go (laughs) they were also making singles out of careless whisper and everything she wants which Uh hit number eight and number 12 on the r&b chart respectively as well as topping the pop 100 hits uh so in the 1980s the r&b chart which they got onto was actually called hot black singles which in this day and age feels like it sounds like like a pop-up for like you know an adult dating site or something but i suppose this was totally acceptable 30 years ago so this so the the hot black singles was a list that was by and for black musicians to reach black listeners so during the eight years that it had the title hot black singles only four white musicians ever reached the top Mm. and that was paul mccartney tina marie lisa stansfield and our our boy george michael Okay. So he's being accepted by the black community as someone who creates music that is good enough to be joined by the music of black musicians is what we're getting sure. out of this. And then we okay. get to 1987. George Michael is on his own now. He has already hit the top five of uh, the hot black singles this year already with uh, a duet with Aretha Franklin. Mm. And suddenly the album Faith comes out. And this album is like crazy for the pop charts because it has songs hitting number one on the R&B charts, like Father Figure, which is featured heavily in Keanu. But then Mm -hmm. it also has other songs like Faith that go straight to the Hot 100 pop charts and never touch the, the Hot Black Singles chart. This becomes album of the year. It outsold Michael Jackson's Bad by several million. 
Wow. Uh, a big part of how well it sold was the fact that it was able to chart on such a wide variety of audiences. Uh-huh. So we talk a lot in the late 80s about how Michael Jackson and Prince were like these amazing crossover artists, which they were because mm-hmm. they were able to chart across racial lines over and over and over again as black artists. And that's an extremely well-earned accolade. Um, and this basically makes George Michael their foil as a white artist. Mm-hmm. So he is on the other side of the equation charting over and over again with black listeners, um, basically having them decide on a song by song basis whether or not he's cool enough to, to bring on to black radio. There were no other white artists doing this. Uh, and Keegan-Michael Key was born in nineteen seventy. So he would have been in high school right when this was happening. Oh my uh, god! And he would have experienced it heavily. Like, and and he like just anecdotally, he was obsessed with George Michael as a teenager, <laughs> and like channeled his desires to like dance to George Michael at the school dances in the scene in Keanu where he does the George Michael dance. Yeah. And so the point here and why it works so well for this movie is that George Michael was code switching with his music. The same way that the characters in the film have to keep code switching to get through their day and not die Mm -hmm. and rescue the cat, the the titular cat. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we we know this is intentional because it's a huge part of Key and Peele's content from the five seasons of their TV show. And it's a huge part of Key's life as like a biracial kid who was adopted into a biracial household Mm -hmm. growing up in Detroit, the blackest city in America. Um, It's also worth noting that George Michael was not the movie's first choice for music. Oh, Uh, they actually tried to get Paul Simon first, (laughs) whose 1986 album Graceland obviously heavily featured South African vocalists from Ladysmith Uh Black Mombazo. And this was during a time when South Africa was under a cultural embargo by the United States. Mm -hmm. But it seems like everyone was kind of okay slash very excited about the fact that Paul Simon declined. And George Michael, uh, after making sure that this was not coming from a place of mockery, was very enthusiastic about being <laughs> the choice for the film. Um, uh-huh. So I think that every all the stars aligned, everything worked out, and, and we ended up with what I thought was a pretty hilarious use of George Michael's music in the movie. Absolutely. So... So that's uh, that is my tirade on George Michael. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Who I also adore uh, from yeah. a very different standpoint as a young person growing up watching VH1 music videos uh, in the middle of the afternoon, trying to <laughs> deal with Freedom 90. Um, so tell me uh, how that may play into your into your analysis <laughs> of this film, because I think there's some code, code switching and some subversion of expectations going on in the movie. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, so I'm going to start out my segment kind of discussing the anatomy first. Okay. Which is... Anatomy. What? (laughs) (laughs) So um, the anatomy of a buddy film begins with the partnering up of two people, more often than not, the same gender, historically men. Okay. Um, these individuals are usually from vastly different backgrounds or have wildly different personalities. Okay. In fact, it's so common that Roger Ebert actually coined a phrase called one's a movies. So like one's a jock, one's a nerd. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. One's a therapist, one's a cop, okay. you know? <laughs> this is like the voiceover you would get in the 90s or in, maybe right, in the 80s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Okay. 
So these different personalities and backgrounds are usually the driving force behind the hijinks. And specifically through their hardships and misunderstandings, usually involving their personalities and backgrounds. Okay. So these different personalities and backgrounds are usually the driving force behind any hijinks that may occur. Okay. Um, in a buddy comedy specifically. And through these hardships and misunderstandings, their friendships usually grow. But there's often personal growth as well, right? Right, of course. Um, and the resolution is usually that the two friends slash frenemies slash enemies or whatever <laughs> will learn how to work together despite their differences and usually defeat a common enemy or they get something they both want. Um, you know, they, they reap a reward. I'm basically. just thinking about due date right now. That's like the only thing. That I is think what of. I was thinking too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so in American Masculinities, a historical encyclopedia, they have an explanation of buddy films that I found to be super compelling. Um, okay. They explain that buddy films offer male movie-going audiences an opportunity to indulge in a form of male bonding and behavior usually discouraged by social constraints. Hmm. That, okay. I can, I can dig that. Yeah, especially yeah. in Keanu, I feel like we're seeing like some vulnerability, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So after pluming the depths on this train of thought, um, I found an article in the LA Times circa 2001 titled, It's Still a Guy Thing, The Evolution of Buddy Movies. Ah, okay, okay. So this this article features Barry Levinson, who uh, the writer says was one of moviedom's leading authorities on the venerable art of male bickering and bonding <laughs> as the director of many buddy films. So he directed Rain Man, Diner, Wag the Dog, and a bunch of others. Okay. Um, he explains that buddy films are one of the most enduring genres in Hollywood and says that the reason why is because, quote, it's amazing how different things are when guys are with guys and when guys are with women. <laughs> okay. And I think by guys, this person literally means guys, like dudes. Right, you know? right, right. Because I know too many men at this point who are just as comfortable in the company of women to the point of, like, preference. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know. But guys, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I ran across this blog about male vulnerability in the buddy film, which I will link to, and it cited that same LA Times article specifically where Levinson says, buddy pictures have always been a man's world. Hmm. Freed from confronting the sticky complexity of sex, men are allowed to debate the important things in life, like the easiest way to rob a bank. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I think he might be telling on himself a little bit in terms of his <laughs> screenwriting techniques, but right. Okay. <laughs> yes. So the writer of this, uh, of this blog, Christopher Coplin went on to say that a lot of buddy films, um, up until recently can quote, feel like the most poisonous reduction of male relations, a simplification and demystification of the powerful interactions between two dudes. Hmm. 
Okay. Which I believe to be true in so many movies in the past. And only recently we've begun to, we've begun to see more buddy films that show true male diversity and vulnerability and men expressing emotion more freely and more specifically their feelings for one another mm-hmm. in a more open and honest way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, films I think of when I think of this are like Shaun of the Dead or Superbad or Swiss Army Man or even like Bill and Ted. Oh you my know, God. Which is back in that day but like they were best friends and they loved each other yeah you know that was a real refreshing look at like best friends absolutely that's so true yeah or or even shows like scrubs and brooklyn 99 you have the vulnerable male yes totally the i feel like the the reason that like bromance became a thing that we like to see like platonic Mm -hmm. love between two male best friends is like Mm -hmm. Uh, there's it. Well, a, I think that there's some reality there, you know. Yes. And B, like, okay, like sometimes it's nice to just see people being nice to each other and loving each other, and like, it can be funny too. <laughs> yeah, and it can give people who are watching it a more expansive idea of how they can act. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, totally. So I. That's all I have as far as my explanation of buddy comedies, but I do feel like definitely ties into Keanu mm-hmm. because they are subverting the like the guy's guy and like code switching, like you said, from like hardcore dudes back to who they they naturally are. Yes, to people. Yes, you know? totally. Or kind of softies. I yeah. think both of them have their soft soft stuff (laughs) yes and i do think they're like obviously part of the comedy is that when they first start being hard they take it too far you know and then they're they're like hold on like gotta scale it back or whatever uh so i do think that there is some like inherent like we're not laughing at the the like weak suburban man we are also laughing at like the idea of the hardness and how like how absurd that can be too so totally yeah it's uh it plays both sides yeah yeah so um is there anything else you want to add before we go to question time oh i guess just that like in addition to george michael like code switching between white and black i also think that there is some toughness in like what is expected of of, like men to listen to not just like on racial lines oh totally and like george michael is like oh his music is gay but like okay well before you knew he was gay like fucking everybody loved him so yeah and now of course we've come back around you either love george michael ironically or realistically or whatever but um yeah i just i think it's interesting to have that conversation around it too here's a guy who made music that was um maybe not terrifically masculine Mm -hmm. um in the same way that prince's music is not terrifically masculine but like also it's like super sexy and like if you don't think that's masculine mm, i have some questions right so i mean masculine plus a bunch of other things so Sure. Yeah. I mean, Prince has his whole homophobic thing, but he definitely wrote music that resonated with all communities. Yeah. You know, I also didn't know that. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, anyway, we can all do better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Uh, Okay. So I guess we're we're heading into question time. Okay. Uh, Well, question time is uh, where we ask each other questions that the other person has not had a chance to prepare for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, My question for you is, what 
three movies would you add to the Keanu cat calendar? So in the movie, Keanu's owner is making a calendar where the cat is dressed up as characters in many films, not necessarily Keanu Reeves films, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's very important to him to make that calendar. (laughs) Right, right. He's an artist. I think I would add, um, I would add speed for sure. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would add, uh, face off. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) So if one of the characters on the face off poster was a cat with the, I don't know. (laughs) You're like, like, not my problem, man. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And then the last one would be Blade Runner. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. With like the very like, yeah, the classic sci-fi cover art kind of treatment. Exactly. Nice. That's great. I would accept a Photoshop for that one. Okay. That's fair. I think that's fair. You're going to have to do some filters, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my question for you Mm -hmm. is tell me your favorite uh, lady-based buddy films. Oh no. Yep. <laughs> you can pick more than one. Uh I think that potentially um just as iconic if not more for our generation is Spice World. Oh, totally. Um because I mean, I guess you don't get the whole like different personalities, you know, like learning to love each other more because the Spice Girls already have like their distinct assigned personalities (laughs) Uh, and they already like are a sisterhood or whatever. But um, in terms of like accomplishing a goal or having to work together to overcome some ridiculous uh, villain, I don't even remember what they're doing (laughs) in that movie, (laughs) but I remember loving it. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think it's a buddy film. They all have separate enough personalities that it was kind of like, I don't know. It feels like a buddy film to me and a road movie, yes, too. Yes, totally. Their best, I feel right, like there's so. a lot of crossover between buddy movies and road movies. Is that wrong? Yeah, okay. that's legit. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, my other, like, favorite obvious one would be A League of Their Own. But, like, does that count? Because there's so many people in that movie. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if Bridesmaids is a buddy movie, then so can to be League of Their Own. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that's a big... I feel like that was the first movie that I really saw growing up that, like, the primary goal of that film is just about platonic female friendship. Like, totally. that is its driving force. Like, mm-hmm. whatever else is happening. So, uh, yeah, it left an impression and... Uh, Hopefully we'll get to talk about that one day. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what? Tell me. Tell me about your takeaways. So I saw a lot of mixed reviews on Keanu. Hmm. Um. It was an uneven film. A lot of people said, and sure, I, I see what they're saying, but also I loved it. Sure. I thought it was funny, uh, very entertaining. I was never bored mm-hmm. watching Keanu. Mm-hmm. Um, the other takeaway is that. That LA Times article did not age well at all. Oh no! <laughs> um, and also, Barry Levinson directed the movie Disclosure, so that kind of tells you mm. the kind of guy he is. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting, uh, interesting filmography he's got going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he doesn't sound like um, you know 
he sounds like he's he's looking out for the for the boys is what I'm taking away. From. That's that's exactly yeah. how the article reads too. Okay, great. <laughs> Boy, uh, you said it, the article's from the year 2000? 2001. Okay. Boy, 20 years can change a lot. And, and we were talking just recently about we are not that far away from a time in Hollywood and the studios when um, this kind of stuff was still totally acceptable. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's kind of weird to think about that it's like literally right around the corner behind us. Yes. How long ago that was. And things haven't really, like things have only been changing in a significant way as of recently. Yeah, I think we have a really short memory span in terms of like what we expect from our media. And, and in some ways that can be good because it's like as soon as you see something groundbreaking, you're like, okay, I expect this now from, from everything. Like as yeah. soon as you see like some level of like gender equality or representation uh, in a positive way, you're like, good, now do it everywhere. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that also can sometimes make it easier to forget that this is still a huge issue in certain like formats or, you know, the, the extremely problematic stuff was not that far away. Like yeah. we, we went through a phase a couple weeks ago where we tried to watch a bunch of... Um, Oh, what's his name? The Pretty in Pink director guy. John Hughes. Yes. Uh, where we tried to watch a, watch a bunch of John Hughes movies and they just, oh, they're so painful. Like they don't age yeah. well at all. And that was not that no. long ago. So yeah, we uh, we should expect better. And, uh, and we should expect it of even like uneven buddy comedies, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if Keanu can do it, then everything else should be able to do it too. That's right. <sighs> All right. <clears throat> um, I guess my main takeaway is just that I totally feel and understand the necessity of going to like insane lengths to rescue your cat. <laughs> yeah. like, like I feel like cinema regularly prioritizes dog people in, in movies. Like you don't, yes. you don't get a lot of movies about cat people. Um, but the truth is that cat people are just as intense, if not more intense about protecting their animals. So I was pretty stoked when you chose this for for pet month because I didn't think we were going to get a cat movie. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Well, here's my thing. If you have a dog movie, you have to have a cat movie. No, I completely agree. I just like couldn't think of any off the top of my head. So I was like, oh, we're probably going to do like, I don't know, like a dog movie and then like something weird. But (laughs) (laughs) thanks. (laughs) Look, man. You pick it's just unusual films, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the other part is that uh, this was a pretty popular movie made by pretty popular people, and I had literally never heard of it until you suggested it f- for for this. So yeah, I was big fan. Yeah, it's a sleeper hit. I think it is a sleeper hit. You you should get out there and spend the 99 cents or whatever to rent it because it's uh, it's fun. And we all could use a little bit of that right now. So that's right. Yeah. Okay, so next month is the start of Pride. Yes, I can hear the jazz hands. <laughs> and we're gonna kick it off with Tangerine. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Looking forward to it. So looking forward to that. So why don't you uh, slide us on out, Lauren? Okay. Uh, Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Footnotes for every episode are available at checkyourthreading.com. And you can find us on Twitter at checkthreading or Instagram at checkyourthreading. You can also email us at checkyourthreadingpod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay inside and watch a movie. Watch a movie. Watch a watch a movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye.